Imagine you're walking down the famous Atlantic City boardwalk in New Jersey. On one side, there's the beach filled with vacationers, and on the other side, casinos beckon with upbeat music, big flashy signs, and bright colors. It's a boardwalk in a casino town, so you're bound to see some weird things as you stroll along. But come out on the right day, and you might spot a bearded guy in a baseball hat inviting passerbys to marvel at the collection of kitschy items he's got spread out on a folding table next to him. Like you, they've been stopped in their tracks by a big, hand-painted brown sign with white lettering, letting them know that they've just stumbled upon the pop-up Atlantic City Trump Museum. It's ridiculous. You're listening to Museums in Strange Places. I'm your host, Hannah Hethman. I produce podcasts for museums and cultural nonprofits, and this is a show about the museums that don't show up in your TripAdvisor Top 10 and the ways they reflect and shape the identities of their country, state, or city. In this episode, I'm taking a little detour from this ongoing season about the Museums of Maryland because I got the chance to interview the founder of the pop-up Atlantic City Trump Museum. And what self-respecting museum podcaster could say no to that story? I should have actually brought my I, my entire catalog with me today. Oh, you got a catalog. I do. I've been keeping track. So among my favorite objects, I have two Trump Marina teddy bears, one of which is dressed to look like Donald Trump himself. I also have a Trump bobblehead doll. I have a Hawaiian shirt that was part of the 50th birthday celebration for Donald Trump at the Taj Mahal. I have a Trump Taj Mahal bathrobe, which I have to tell you is one of the nicer bathrobes you'll find. I keep having to fight the urge to just wear it. My name's Levi Fox, and I'm here today to talk about the pop-up Atlantic City Trump Museum, which is a public history project that I have been involved in for the last couple years. Sadly, I didn't come across Levi's Museum in its usual spot on the boardwalk. But since his pop-up museum consists only of Trump-branded duffel bags filled with items that can be quickly unpacked onto folding tables, I like to think my experience with the Atlantic City Trump Museum was pretty darn authentic. I was looking for coffee in the exhibit hall at the annual conference of the National Council on Public History in Hartford, Connecticut, when I heard Levi showing off his treasures to a crowd of historians and headed over to check it out. Everybody's like, oh, it holds cars. It's got a little uh, made in Taiwan stamp on there. I don't think this held cars. I pass it and I tell everybody my story about what I think it is, which is that I think that's a cigar By the way, if a conference center in Connecticut filled with a thousand historians sounds boring to you, then you should probably hang out with more historians. Public historians in particular are some of the most fun people I've encountered and they know how to have a good time. Here, I submit a pop-up Trump Museum as evidence. Levi was kind enough to sit down with me and chat about this project, which probably fits the name of this podcast better than any of the 40 other museums I've interviewed so far. One of the things that I tried to do from the beginning was to collect objects that I would be able to easily present. So putting objects in bags, and I should note all Trump-branded bags containing Trump-branded objects, allowed me to pop up on the boardwalk. So many of the objects are the bags themselves. One of my personal favorites you can see right here is this piece of purple rolling luggage branded with the Trump Marina logo made in Sri Lanka. 
the objects really run the gamut, and part of what I have found so interesting is that you can really brand anything. I have a Trump Castle branded measuring tape. I have a pin that only has the country of origin printed on the bag, so I can't open it, that indicates the 25th anniversary of the Trump Taj Mahal. And I have some objects from the very short-lived Trump's World's Fair casino, including a keychain and a cup. So the types of objects that I have include clothing, things that would have been given away at casinos, things that were purchasable in the stores, and even some things like luggage tags that were simply part of the operation of the casino. The Atlantic City Trump Museum pops up, but it doesn't usually travel. This history conference was Levi's first time unpacking the collection anywhere but the iconic Atlantic City boardwalk. Last summer, I did a session every Sunday in August for two hours right in front of the former Trump Plaza Casino, which was the first Trump-branded casino in Atlantic City and opened in 1983 as Harris at the Trump Plaza, and closed in 2014. It is one of the only casinos in Atlantic City that remains closed and not in any way rehabilitated. So it does stand out now, though the Trump name has disappeared from it. A Trump museum makes sense. There are so many chapters of the Donald J. Trump story that have been buried beneath his relatively new political persona and the endless presidential scandals. But why Atlantic City? Turns out, Trump's presence and impact in the casino capital of the East Coast is much more than a few branded buildings. In 1983, Trump's first casino opened. It was called Harris at the Trump Plaza. It was a partnership between the Trump corporations and Harris. However, he soon came into competition with Harris when he purchased his second casino, the Trump Castle. And that's how he ended up having two casinos in his own brand by the time that the Taj Mahal was being constructed. Uh, that was completed in 1990 at a cost of $1 billion and was advertised as the eighth wonder of the world. And this is really when Donald Trump, I believe, emerged onto the scene as the most identifiable casino magnate in Atlantic City. He would frequently make appearances at wrestling events, at concerts, promoting his brand. I'm here to challenge you to a match in WrestleMania. What? Oh, I get it. It's the battle of the billionaire! Donald Trump eventually opens four casinos by the late 1990s, and that's important because that means when the casino bankruptcies occur, they have a much larger footprint. Today, Atlantic City is home to about 40,000 people, and it's known around the world as the less successful East Coast Las Vegas. Casino gambling was legalized in the city in 1974 in an attempt to reinvigorate a flagging economy. A few years later, the first legal casino on the East Coast opened up on the Atlantic City boardwalk. It was also the first legal casino to be built outside Las Vegas. The 1980s saw a tripling of gambling revenue in the city, which attracted developers like Donald Trump, who saw a chance to profit on the boom. In its heyday, the beachside city had 12 casinos. But other states soon started to legalize casinos and online gambling meaning that Atlantic City no longer had a monopoly on the sport of losing money on vacation. A recession in 1990 flatlined gambling revenue, and Trump's casinos were hit particularly hard. From 1992 to 2014, Donald Trump's casinos went to bankruptcy court five times. Trump talked about the profits he made off Atlantic City in an interview with the New York Times in 2016. 
I was trying to find a clip of him saying this line, um, and I couldn't find one, but I did find a clip of the 2016 Democratic candidate reading from that interview transcript during a rally on the Atlantic City boardwalk. And here's what he says about the whole experience. He actually brags about it. Atlantic City was a very good cash cow for me for a long time. The money I took out of there was incredible. To me, the Atlantic City story in terms of Trump is one that has needed to be highlighted more than it has been. Hillary Clinton attempted to tell this story. She had a rally right in front of the closed Trump Plaza to discuss the multiple casino bankruptcies that impacted the community during the 1990s and 2000s. However, I feel like that story never really took root in the media the way that it ought to have, because whether you're a Democrat or Republican, regardless of whether you're a small business person or what kind of industry you're engaged in, chances are in Atlantic County, if you had a business dealing with Donald Trump, you might have a negative recollection of it. And that's one of the reasons why, despite the fact that Atlantic County overall trends red, last election it went blue because so many people locally know the story, which I'm hoping more people around the world will get to know. When Donald Trump came to Atlantic City, he made a lot of promises. We're not just talking about the workers, many of whom actually remember the period of the 1990s very fondly, but for the small business people who, for example, may have bid very low to get a contract with a Trump casino, and then when one of the bankruptcies occurred, been paid pennies on the dollar for their break-even bid, they went out of business. And so the story of Trump's business career throughout Atlantic County really is one of what I would perceive to be broken promises. He promised the Casino Control Commission that he would be able to finish funding the Taj Mahal without resorting to junk bonds, for example. He promised the local workers that he would find jobs for them. But in fact, many of the people who were employed by Trump casinos were uh, brought from overseas. So one of the untold stories of Donald Trump's career in Atlantic City is the degree to which his hiring practices brought about a incredible diversification of the community. I sometimes now describe Atlantic City as a West Coast city on the East Coast. We have folks from all over the world, and that is a direct consequence of Donald Trump's hiring practices. I tend to think that this has created a vibrant community in Atlantic City, but that certainly runs counter to the messaging that Trump has presented in terms of immigration since entering politics. So I think one of the important messages I hope to get out are the contradictions between Donald Trump's business practices in Atlantic City and the ways in which he has talked about immigration, has talked about global importation, really has talked about the entire world once he's gotten into the Oval Office. As I listened to Levi talk about Trump's impact on Atlantic City, I realized this museum meant far more than a stunt to him. That's another thing about public historians. They care a lot about the present, and to them, history is a way to understand that present. Once I realized this was a very serious project for Levi, I had to know what motivated him to start doing this in his spare time something I suspect he has very little of as an adjunct professor, historian, and tour guide. Why did you decide to start a pop-up Trump Atlantic City Museum? Where did this idea come from, and what on earth made you act on it? Well, I appreciate you asking me that question, which I think is really the most important piece of context to understand the entire project. I began this not as a museum project, but as a tour. 
In 2016, I started a company called Jersey Shore Tours, and one of the ways that I decided to try to get some free publicity was to create a Trump tour of the Atlantic City boardwalk in time for election season. I never expected the election would turn out the way that it did, but when it happened, I felt like I was in the right place at the right time, that I had already established a reputation among some of the local media as an expert on Trump's history in Atlantic City, and I myself graduating with a PhD in public history from Temple, have a background in material culture. So I really wanted to collect the objects as well as stories of people who worked in the casinos or gambled there in order to tell this entire story. After the election, I got together with some colleagues and we came up with the idea of trying to launch the Atlantic City Trump Museum Project which turned into a website. You can visit us at trumpmuseum.org. That's trumpmuseum.org. There, I have a list of some of the many media articles that were written about us, some of my television appearances talking about the project. However, after an initial run and some general interest, it really waned. And I took it upon myself last year to try to rekindle the project because I thought it was very important to be able to tell the local story that so many people from Atlantic City and from the Atlantic County area know and understand from Trump's career in the casino business that really nowadays is of interest not just to people all across the country, but all across the world. Not only was this a project that was intended to uh, enable me to get a little bit of publicity for my side business, but to me, more than that, it's an opportunity to educate the public about a forgotten piece of American history, an under-understood part of the story. Traditional history museum practice often sees objects as inherently valuable because of their age or connection to an important person or time. So if you have a hat that Lincoln wore or a hat that his servant might have worn, the most important thing in that case is to preserve and care for those hats so that they can be saved for future generations and marveled at for their age and significance. I personally find that approach rather boring. A public history approach, on the other hand, often focuses more on how that hat can be used to tell the story of the people who wore it. And if you're really progressive in your interpretive practice, you might say the hat is only valuable if it sparks discussion and helps visitors who see it to connect with the past. Levi's Trump Museum obviously falls in the second camp. He takes good care of his collection, but he isn't just a collector filling a closet with objects he thinks have inherent worth. He's filling his Trump-branded duffel bags with objects that tell stories or that serve as material evidence in a disputed historical narrative. You can see this picture right here that is actually a photograph of the Trump castle. And I purchased this on eBay and picked it up from the woman who'd taken it. And she passed along the story that you can see I have included in the uh, window right next to the image itself in order to pass on the information. So I'll give you the short version of the story. This woman's son worked for two years as a uh, summertime busboy at the Trump castle. And he was an art student in college at the time. On his very last day of work, he presented a canvas with a painting of Trump's yacht, The Princess, which he very famously had to give up as a result of the very first Taj Mahal bankruptcy. Well, as the story happens, uh, as was related to me, the woman notes that he had to leave it for Trump with his secretary, who promised that she would pass it along and was sure that he would very much appreciate it. The woman ended her relating of the story to me by noting that they never heard another word and that she was very disappointed. 
And okay. to me, those objects that have stories associated with them, where the people who lived the history themselves are relating what happens. Another great object, um, I'm not sure if I showed this to you before, but I have a case that says, Trump start your career, which at one point held jumper cables. Now, this was presented to me as something that was given out as a promotion, but I actually think it's more likely that it would have been given to employees of the Trump Corporation, in part because there are multiple casinos listed on the bag, in part because of the messaging, Trump start your career, and because of what it contained, jumper cables to help you get to work. So many objects, though they are seemingly uh, just a bag, really have so much information that can be contained within them. And really, they're, they're talking points. They're, they're the beginning of a conversation. They're the opening of a discussion. So when I see an object like that hat made in Bangladesh, or the shirts made in Pakistan, or the Dominican Republic, or El Salvador, these are places to start a conversation about where these branded products come from, but also how that business history really does seem to contradict the America First narrative that's presented politically. And the fact that Donald Trump as a politician is suggesting that Donald Trump as a business person, you know, would never have done these sorts of things, you know, runs counter to the evidence that we have uh, tan tangibly, materially. And, and, and easy to find, it seems. And not that hard to discover. And most importantly, I think, really hard to argue with. And so one of the things that I have tried to do whenever possible is find objects with tags sewn in, imprints, more than just a sticker that says Made in China, which I can imagine someone suggesting may have been stuck on there. A tag, however, sewn in really does, to me, prove the chain of custody that is so important to this particular part of the narrative of this particular iteration of the Atlantic City Trump Museum project. Because for the pop-up museum, I thought it was important to focus down. And to me, beyond the story of the fact that you can brand anything is the story of the internationalism of these products. Uh, not just that they come from different parts of the world, but particularly what other parts of the world they come from. When I saw Levi presenting his Trump artifacts at the Public History Conference, I became an instant fan. I could have listened to him talk for hours. But I wondered how the average Joe on the boardwalk responded to this rather unconventional museum exhibit. When you're out on the boardwalk, you've got a sign. Ah, uh, yes. So I created a sign that says the pop-up Atlantic City Trump Museum. And when I had first created this idea, I thought people understood museums were locations of critical inquiry, locations where multiple points of view might be presented and could compete in the marketplace of ideas. However, I quickly learned that regardless of people's political persuasion, they tended to assume, maybe 80% of people tended to assume, that the Trump Museum was a pro-Trump museum. Thus, the two-sided, or Janus-faced sign, as I sometimes call it, the obverse side actually says the pop-up Atlantic City Anti-Trump Museum. And so while I always begin with what I consider to be the neutral side, when I perceive people walking along the boardwalk to be distressed, upset, to be verbally or visually signing to me their disapproval, I will flip the sign and present to them the fact that 
No story is one-sided, and that's why it's very important that this Trump Museum of Atlantic City present the perspectives of many people. How do people usually respond uh, when they walk by? Like, is there an overall negative response? Is there a positive response? Are people interested? Do they shout at you? What happens when a Trump supporter walks by? Um, So I'll I'll, uh, answer the last part of your question first. So I once had a Trump Trump supporter walk by, and though I usually begin with the neutral side of the sign— I had already flipped it when he walked by, so all he read was the anti-Trump museum. He took the time to walk around in a circle to pass by me a second time and inform me ISIS was gone, we had the best economy ever, and I needed to get a job. I will say that as an adjunct professor and a public historian, I feel like I have a half dozen jobs already, but... I would say about 80% of the respondents on the boardwalk have been in favor of the anti-side of the sign and whatever else you might take from that meaning. I personally think we need more people like Levi out museuming in the streets, helping us understand the world we live in by showing us the history behind current events. I asked Levi what was next for the museum and how he was planning to keep the project going. Do you see this taking over your life? Like, I don't know, I'm just kind of curious on the impact on your personal life. So, um, well, I can certainly say that my fiancé hopes that the objects do not take over our fairly small apartment. But one of the advantages of the museum set up as it is, and my hope to turn it into a traveling Trump museum, is that the objects are contained within bags and can be largely stored in a medium-sized closet at present. There is, however, hope in the future that as we continue to collect more objects, we would need a storage unit. Having begun really collecting objects in general and then doing the pop-up iteration, my next plan, and I'm currently running a Kickstarter campaign for that, perhaps you could help highlight that, would be to create a traveling Trump museum, a real suitcase-style display that I could take on the road to present this message as far and wide as possible. I hopefully could then use that also to raise funds for a temporary display on the boardwalk, which ideally would be in the summer of 2020 to take advantage of the political interest in my historical display. The long-term hope is that if the Trump Presidential Library needs a location, Atlantic City could certainly use the heritage tourism bonus that would be associated with it, and I think that would be an appropriate place, keeping in mind that I consider presidential libraries, like all museums, a place for critical inquiry, a place to ask important questions and for scholars and the public to be able to learn. Now, more broadly, I consider this to be a side project. Currently, I recently finished my dissertation on Korean War public memory, and I'm an adjunct professor at a few different colleges. As I mentioned, I have a tour business, but I think this is an important project. So though there's some personal motivation to put it down, some uh, social uh, pressure to move along, I think it's too important to completely cast aside and I do hope that uh, the more that I can spread information about the project, the more that I can mention our website, trumpmuseum.org, the more likely it is that I won't be the only one who has to do the lifting into the future. If you saw a man on the boardwalk with a sign saying Trump Museum, what would you assume about his motivations? I have to be honest, I think like most people, I'd assume it was a pro-Trump thing. Before I met Levi, I probably would have told you there was no good reason to make a Trump museum. 
But I realize now that by ignoring the nearly 50 years Trump spent in business and media before becoming president, we're just helping him cover up and rework his history. History is a powerful tool. In the right hands, it can change the world. In the wrong pair of hands, it can be used as a weapon. Let's not leave Trump's history to be told by Trump. Thanks for listening to Museums in Strange Places. If you like what you just heard, please help me keep the show going by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with a friend or 50 friends. If you want to know more about the pop-up Atlantic City Trump Museum and the subjects discussed in this episode, you'll find links in the episode description on your podcast listening app. Interested in starting a podcast at your organization? Check out my book, Your Museum Needs a Podcast, a step-by-step guide to podcasting on a budget for museums, history organizations, and cultural nonprofits. Your Museum Needs a Podcast is available on Amazon as an ebook, paperback, and audible audiobook. Donald Trump, the multimillionaire real estate developer, is sounding more like a politician these days than America's most grandiose and controversial builder. It's ridiculous.